Welcome to the Sports to Business Podcast with your host, Tanvir. I chat with former athletes turned executives on winning in business by leveraging the principles from sports. On this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Emily Lammers, the VP and Product Manager at Franklin Templeton, an MBA consultant and also a number one best-selling author. Emily was part of the varsity swim team at Princeton that broke the longest win streak record of any team at the university. And after graduation, she enjoys competing in all of the U.S. major marathons such as New York, Boston, and Chicago. On this episode, we dive into Emily's journey to Princeton and her athletic career, how Emily is able to get eight hours of sleep despite working full-time, being a consultant, being a best-selling author, a mom of two, and who never misses a workout, the story behind Emily's best-selling book, and her message around prioritizing your health and well-being as a mom, something that does not get enough focus how empathetic leadership is important, and why you must care about your people even more so today than ever, how we assign our self-worth to our work, and how Emily was able to move forward when she decided to leave her swimming team, and now working with others, and why it's even more important today when we're working in remote or hybrid environments. You can learn more about Emily at Emily Explains It All. You can also get in touch with her on LinkedIn. And you can read her book titled No Drama, First Time Mama, available on Amazon. All right, folks, let's jump in with the one and only Emily Lammers. Welcome to the Sports Business Podcast. Today, we have Emily Lammers. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Amber. Happy to be here. Awesome. So Emily, you, um, you are currently the VP and product manager at Franklin Templeton. You're also an MBA admissions consultant and you are a number one bestselling author. Um, that's a lot of great work, lots of great accomplishments. Um, we'd love to understand how you manage all these things, especially in times like today when I know you also, you're also a mom as well. So, mm-hmm. um, let's start there. What's keeping you so busy and how do you handle all this stuff? Yeah, well, I I would start out by saying I have always had many interests, um, for better or for worse. Um, And we can talk about my my sports career and kind of how that started a long time ago. But um, I just have a hard time kind of just doing one thing and being fulfilled with that. I I like having a a basket of things that I really enjoy and are passionate about. Um, That gives me an energy that focusing on just you know, my day job or being a parent or um, doing consulting doesn't. So I, I have always kind of cultivated a variety of activities um, that use different parts of um, my brain, my, yep. um, my personality, my strengths, um, and, and just use that to kind of keep things interesting, keep me energized. Um, and, you know, being Being an author was something I pursued on my own. The admissions consulting just kind of came out of, um, you know, advice I was giving my coworkers and friends informally several years ago. Um, So not even something I intended to to really pursue, um, but has ended ended up being one of, you know, one of my, I guess, a side hustle that I absolutely love. So yeah, that's awesome. And and I think you know. And I'm kind of similar to you, Emily, where I, I just can't be satisfied with one thing. 
And it's like, I need to do some more, you know, something more, something different, right. To keep the brain going. And I think it's something to do with our sports background. You know, I think it's the way we've always been conditioned to always be doing something with our time. If there's a free Mm -hmm. slot on the calendar, that's like heaven, right. (laughs) Especially. um, So on that note, going back to, um, to your university days, what was that experience like? And for everybody watching and listening, uh, Emily was part of the swimming team at Princeton mm-hmm. and you guys did break a bunch of records. So walk us, walk us through that. Yeah. So I, a, a couple of thoughts on that. I was actually a walk-on on the Princeton wow. swim team. Um, you know, I, I was very focused on a- academics first and foremost in my college experience. So you know, looked at a, a lot of the Ivies and a lot of the smaller um, liberal arts schools on the East Coast, um, most mostly Division three schools. But I was focused on academics, and then swimming was a nice to have. Um, I was recruited by some programs I really liked: um, Dartmouth, Georgetown, um, were some of my top schools that were interested in me. Um, but I really wanted to go to Princeton and they were the best um, swimming school of all the schools I was looking at. So I kind of had to um, do, do some self-recruiting. I got in touch with the coach. I, you know, met some people on the team and they said, you know, if you can get in on your own, great. We'd love to have you as part of the team. Um, and that actually happens a lot at the Ivies, just for folks who aren't, aren't as familiar Um so I, w- I got into Princeton, was able to join the, the swim team, which was really great. Yeah. Um, one thing I did notice being a walk-on was back to this theme of doing a lot of things. I had played um, tennis as well growing up and in high school. In addition to swimming, I was very involved with um, music. I played the trombone, I played piano, all these things. And that was a little bit different than a lot of quite frankly, a lot of my teammates who were better swimmers than I were, they had been pretty much solely focused on swimming. Um, and they found it interesting that I was doing all this other stuff. Um, so, um, that was, you know, just something that, that was different. Um, I, I would say, you know, having done many different activities for so many years, I was very good at time management. I mean, I think any college athlete needs to be good at time management, but even just adding more, more things to to the slate of activities, um, just, just had to be kind of hyper organized and also, you know, deciding how to prioritize and where to spend time. Um, when you're a college athlete, you don't, don't have a lot of free time in between practices and school, um, obviously yeah. everyone at Princeton is pretty focused on academics as well. Um, so just figuring out, you know, how do I want to allot the, the very limited time I have? And I am very much using that framework and that those skills today as I'm trying to juggle all my different yeah. jobs. That's amazing. So, I mean, how, how did you develop the skill set back at Princeton? You know, juggling all these things, what were some of the, some of the skill sets maybe you can share with a few folks today? Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of like thinking through, um, priorities at the time. Um, you know, obviously there was a season, there were, um, there was a preseason, there was an after season, but just thinking how much time do I want to put into different things 
at this, you know, this month or this winter. Um, I also sought out other activities. Um, you know, I wrote for the Daily Princetonian as a sports writer, yep. <laughs> ironically, um, and, or maybe not so. Um, <laughs> and I, I led freshman backpacking trips through this, this very large outdoor action organization that Princeton wow. had. So I, I kind of found other things that would fulfill me that I could slot in around swimming um and that also like didn't directly compete like the outdoor action stuff was in the spring and we led the trips in the fall um or the training was in the spring and led the trips yep. in the fall that didn't compete with swimming in the winter um so it was just kind of strategically piecing these different things together um and then a, another thing that has been key to my success in college and most definitely now is really um, prioritizing taking care of myself. <laughs> I'm yep. Very selfish about it, <laughs> um, and I I very much subscribe to like LeBron James' obsession with sleep. Um, I tell other maybe I shouldn't tell other parents this, but I sleep like eight to nine hours a night um, just because I I am focused on that. I'm probably yep. lucky with my kids being sleepers too. Um, but I just think to perform at a high level in sports, business, um, your family life, your relationships, you really need to be at your best. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, that's getting the sleep I need. That's being able to pursue my personal interests. Yeah. That is working out regularly um, now that I'm not in an organized sport. Um, so I am just super focused on making sure I'm, I'm in the best place to, to perform well. And that's kind of, yeah, kind of what my book's about too, in a, in a weird way. Um, that's amazing. Know. Yeah. It's, um, I'm glad we're having this conversation, Emily, because there is this, you know, you know, this way better than I do because you wrote a book on it. There's this notion of, you know, parents don't get to sleep and, if you can sleep more than six hours means uh, you're not busy enough or you're not doing enough for yourself. Right. But mm -hmm. here you are, you know, former Princeton graduate who has got a pretty amazing corporate journey. You're an author, you're a great mom and you're a consultant yet you are sleeping eight, nine hours. It is possible. So what's the secret, right? Being really efficient. Um, and this is something I've learned from, sports as well especially like endurance sports I was a swimmer and then I got into long distance running um after college and it's almost not like it's so wearing on your body and and you can get overuse injuries so much that you want to make sure you're not doing too much yeah. <laughs> and and I do that at work too I'm like what what you know quality over quantity totally what are the few things I can do that will have the most impact. I know people throw around the 80, 20 rule, yep. but, um, you know, what, what are the strategic projects or what, what's going to have the biggest impact on my team or get me recognized by senior leadership? Um, you know, what am I going to do running? I used to train for marathons. I started training three days a week running doing really high impact workouts instead of all the garbage miles yep. and, and just focusing on like the highest impact things I could do in any setting that has helped me 
kind of keep all, all of my balls in the air moving forward, but also getting the time to recharge that I really need. It's so fascinating, right? Because we think that un- we've been conditioned that if you're not doing something, it means you're not working hard enough. Mm-hmm. But all the great people that I've seen that are successful, such as yourself, even in my experience, it's prioritizing the things that actually matter and doing them well mm-hmm. and then shutting it off or yep. focusing on something else. Mm-hmm. And it almost also helps you not worry too much about that one thing, which actually mm-hmm. helps you perform better because now you're not worried about the results, which means anytime you're thinking about it, you're like, might as well work on it, which actually backfires because after a right. while, the returns are diminishing. Totally. Um, and I think it's so easy to do that in sports, especially. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. become so obsessed with your goals and your training and, um, and yeah. then so much of sports is such a head game too, that you yeah. can just psych yourself out. And I, I that's why I've, I found it helpful to have other things going on to channel this, this energy too. So yeah. yeah, it's almost, it's almost like you want to do more things than just one so that you can actually get better results on the thing that matters. Right. It's, it's counterintuitive, mm-hmm. but it works. It and works. Breaks. Yes. I, um, you know, I, I'm always kind of, trying to think like, how much do I want to advertise? I do all these things outside of my day job or, um, you know, I work out in the middle of the day a lot of times just to like recharge and give my brain a break from what I'm doing. And I've actually found this to be kind of one of the the silver linings of the whole pandemic is, um, you know, there's so much more flexibility now with work from home. I feel like this kind of lifestyle has become more accepted and you don't Mm -hmm. have to hide it as much you can be like yeah yeah I'm working out at lunch like I'll see you at the one o'clock meeting that's that's yeah. fine oh I'm yeah. picking my kids from school um I just think there's been a lot of downsides in terms of work and especially for working parents and I I feel that too but you know the flexibility to share what's really going on in your life and say you need a break and schedule in um you know breaks in the day workouts etc family time I think has been tremendous. Um, yeah. and I, re- I hope that's going to continue as now employees can demand that sort of flexibility in a lot of cases and, and not feel guilty about it. Right. Uh, right. And that's, that's the key part because you're like, yeah, I'm going to work out. But if you have a culture and there unfortunately are companies out there mm-hmm. where unless you have the face time, right. You think you're not working hard enough. Right. So I think that is something that leadership teams have to make sure that it is not just a talk. They actually are also implementing some of those, mm-hmm. those rules that, hey, you don't have to be here every single day. What we want is results. And they should also know, to your point, that if somebody is well-rested, they're probably going to benefit your company at the end of the day anyways, because now they can they have better productivity mm-hmm. and they're thinking with a clear mind. Mm-hmm. So I think it all, it all is, is somehow, you have to bring it all, all together and people have to recognize that, hey, if you are doing well personally, you're also going to do well professionally for yourself, but also for the company you're working at. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I have noticed, maybe this is like my, my MBA background, but you know, the, the notion of empathetic leadership was mm-hmm. kind of like a, a newer concept, you know, 10 years ago when I was starting business school. And I, I do feel like it is becoming um, more recognized. Like these things matter, you know, in, in my world, uh, investments, everyone's all about ESG. Like that was, 
just in its infancy a decade ago. And now, now people are really concerned about how companies are treating their people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how managers are responding to their reports, uh, personal lives and challenges. And um, I don't want to say it's getting all touchy feely, but some of this was needed. <laughs> so um, I've been really encouraged just to see the, the transformation that's happened in, yeah. in my corporate career. That's amazing. So what are, you know, after your journey from Princeton, how was the, how was the transition like? Um, and how did you, I think, especially for student athletes listening to, to this program, what, what was some of the things that allowed you to navigate your career and, and really every step of the way make progress? Mm -hmm. So what was that like? Yeah. So I would say knowing how to deal with challenges and setbacks, yep. um, kind of playing the, the long-term game. I mean, in, in sports, you're getting constant feedback, especially in by sports where you have a time every time you get in the water mm -hmm. or on the road. Um, and it's not always going to be the time you want, or, you know, you're not going to play the game you want or what. There's a lot of patience required, which is really hard for competitive people um and you just kind of have to keep going um so this was something that served me well because in my career because honestly I don't really feel like I hit my stride in my career until probably like five or six years out um yeah. I didn't really know what I wanted to do I wasn't happy um I started my financial career right you know a year before the uh the global financial crisis which was really tough um, I, it just took a lot of soul searching and being super competitive, like, like I am and, you know, having all these Princeton classmates, it's so easy to focus on, well, this, you know, all my friends are on this linear track and, and they're doing so well in their jobs and we're all on social media and LinkedIn and, it, yeah. it can and be comparing really yourself constantly. <laughs> it can be really <laughs> disheartening. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I guess I'm proud of myself for kind of sticking it out. I tried a lot of different things, honestly. Um, and that was painful in that I wasn't making all this tangible progress, but I was really figuring out what I wanted to do, what I was good yeah. at, what I enjoyed. Um, and I actually took a break from investment management where I started, uh, did some different things, worked at a, on a political campaign, did some consulting to startups, worked at a biotech company for a year, used my wow. biology degree for a hot minute there. Um, and then I went back to investment management, kind of knowing what was on, you know, what the opportunity set was. And I also went from, you know, I had started in research and due diligence. I moved over to marketing and product management, which is a much better fit for my personality and my skills. Yep. Um, so that was kind of a painful process. Um, and honestly, I think it's something where <laughs> most of us, like, I guess most of the people I know, and I certainly don't know, like are, are still wondering some days, like, what do I want to do when I grow up? <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's, I think you just, I was just saying it's impossible to know what you want to do. Mm -hmm. I still don't know what I want to do, even though, you know, looking at your, your profile, your resume or my resume, somebody might say, well, this is what you are, but 
if somebody asked me honestly today, what do you want to do five years from now? I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen in five years, mm-hmm. whether I'm still going to like what I'm doing today. So I think we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we leave school. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of, a lot of people go through this phase, especially in your twenties, thirties, I found to be a little bit, little more subtle, but I, I think the early years in your career can be really challenging. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all about, well, I'm doing this in my career and that's great. And I'm learning so much and okay, maybe some people find what they like right out of the gate or, you know, work at a great company where they can move around a lot and yep. get some opportunities. But it, I think it's challenging for a lot of people. Um, and I think if, you know, if you've grown up playing sports, at least you're kind of comfortable with, all right, this is a process. I just need to keep putting one foot in front of the other, seeing what I can learn, seeing how I can improve myself and just having the faith that there will be that breakthrough or that result. You will find, you know, where you're supposed to be. So it's the, it's the journey that we have to be (laughs) like, right. As cliche as it is. Yes. (laughs) um, I mean, you know, like you don't win a championship overnight. It, It takes years of practice. Now to somebody in the stands, it might look like, well, this year, you know, out of nowhere, this team came around and they won the championship, but mm-hmm. what they don't see is the years of practice, right? Mm-hmm. And the over and the late game reviews at night, the late practices, the late workouts, mm-hmm. all that stuff is what allows you to win. So I think even in my experience in, in our careers, it's about continuing to take the right actions and learn and evolve and then just say yes to things and mm-hmm. test it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's being open to opportunities. As, as one of those things. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. The um, one thing that I did notice, um, Emily, I, I'm curious to ask, I, I think it was going to fit really well with what a lot of people are experiencing today, because I myself left the corporate world a, a few years ago and started my own business. Um, you at Princeton, you actually left the swimming team mm-hmm. because you didn't enjoy it as much. So so what was, what was behind that decision and what made you actually make that decision? Because I know a lot of people, right? And I was there. You want to, you want to leave, you know, it's the right decision to leave, but you just continue chugging along and hating yourself. So what, how did you make that decision and what was behind it? Yeah. I mean, I was just burnt out. Um, if I'm being honest with myself, I was probably burnt out from like after high school, um, but, you know, I felt like the right thing to do. Who doesn't want to be a division one college athlete? Yeah. And it, I'm not, I don't regret swimming for two years. It, there is something amazing about being part of, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to quote my college coach, but she always used to say something bigger than ourselves, which yeah. is easy, but true. Um, I stepped on campus and had like an immediate group of friends and, you know, that you know, being a, a athlete just helps you kind of navigate um, new environments and have support and something to put your effort into. So there are a lot of benefits. I'm glad I did it. Um, the decision to quit when I realized that was probably in my best interest um, still was not easy. Um, I think, again, something with sports, it's like an identity. I'm like, well, I'm a swimmer. So what will people like, how will people know me if I'm not on this team anymore, or that's not what I'm doing. Um, So I, 
I don't know, I wrestled with it kind of all of the off season. And I, at some point I, there was some drama going on with the team too. (laughs) 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 That was going on in the background. And that kind of, I was like, I don't need to spend my mental energy on this. So that, that was kind of the, the last straw for me. Um, but I do think again, what made it easier to make that transition was I had other activities that I was doing that I was invested in. I had made a lot of friends outside the swim team, which was kind of unusual. Um, I think a lot of sports teams can be a little culty, which is a blessing and a curse. I knew very (laughs) few little people outside the football team. Uh (laughs) Uh (laughs) My husband was a college athlete as well. And he actually has a few friends that call themselves regulars. (laughs) (laughs) We're not that special. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, I, I feel like I also knew some friends or some other people on sports teams that kind of would have liked to quit, but that was, that was their yeah. whole world. And I think they just kept going and, you know, make, who knows what's the right decision or not. But uh, for me, it was kind of a, kind of a big relief. I mean, I, yeah. I was happy to close that chapter. Um, this is kind of a, a fun little story, but I actually did not swim any best times. My, two years at Princeton until the very last race I swam. And I was like, it's a sign. Nice. (laughs) Go out on a high note. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I, you know, I studied abroad the next year, which you really couldn't do if you were playing sports and, um, just kind of, you know, I feel like I had two very different halves of college and they both had wonderful things in them. So it's amazing. It's, yeah. I think it's about whatever decision you make. It's like what a coach would say, make it at full speed. Mm-hmm. Um, because even if you're wrong, you can adjust later. But it doesn't mean you're going to get the right yeah. decision. But at least make a decision. Don't, just, you know, don't hesitate. You can be, okay, I want to be in the team. Um, but then you're not really invested in the team fully. Right. Um, so you're right. actually unhappy. You're not as happy as you would be otherwise. So um, I think it's a great story, right? It's, um, and even in business, it's like, hey, you're never going to know the right answer, Mm -hmm. pick a direction and let's go and we'll figure out the rest. Definitely. Um, And the other thing that you did mention, Emily, is um, we tend to associate our, our, you know, what we do as our identity. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if let's say you're in investment banking, you, you might be saying, Hey, I'm, that's what I am. Mm -hmm. And it it makes it, even though you might not like, let's say for some reason uh, before when you were doing it or before the MBA, you might not have liked that career. Or for me, let's say I'm an author or speaker, that's the identity. But if you want to change that, you want to do something else. Now you're like, you know what, what, what am I going to be known as mm-hmm. if I, if I leave? And I think that's such a, such a, not the right way of right. associating ourselves or self-worth mm-hmm. with what we do, which unfortunately is what um, we tend to do in today's society. Absolutely. And I, I'm aware of that now that I'm a mother and I meet lots of other moms and um, I, I want to, cause I'm career driven. I want to be like, well, what do you do? But then like, I think being a stay at home mom is like really challenging and amazing also. And it's the last thing I want to do is make it not feel like that. But yeah. I also don't really know how to navigate the conversation sometimes. So I'll, you know, I'll like chit chat about stuff and I don't, it, I think as a culture, we're trying to figure out how to yeah. de-emphasize yeah. these labels, which 
have historically been so important and are still really important to some of us because we are invested in what we're doing all day, every day. But yeah, um, yeah I, if, if I <laughs> figure out how to, to, to broach this a little more gracefully. Well, yeah, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell, us, uh, tell us about your book. I know it's the number one Amazon bestseller. So mm-hmm. what was the story behind that and, and the process yeah. there? So I, um, my book is called No Drama, First Time Mama, um, nice. a practical guide to living your best life as a new mother. And I wrote it, um, it's been a little over, published it a little over a year now. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, I, I felt like I had a not unique take on being a mom, but just, I had a message that is not mainstream. Um, which really does center on what we were talking about earlier, um, prioritizing your health and well-being. When mm-hmm. you become a mom, it's all about the baby. It's, you know, people, how's the baby doing? You're in the hospital. They're, they're taking care of the baby. The baby's going to be fine in most cases. <laughs> yeah. I just think there is not nearly enough focus on how mothers are doing. Um, and and the there's a lot of judgment too about, well, if you're going away with your friends for a weekend or, you know, if you're not, um, you know, enriching your child every single hour of the day, or you're not into this competitive attachment parenting, then you're not all in. And I, I just think that is complete baloney. I think it's a road to burnout. Um, and I just wanted to find some way to kind of elevate this conversation that, hey, moms matter too. You need to be thinking about yourself um, and not feeling guilty about it. I think mom guilt is garbage. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wanted to do that in a um, fun and engaging way. So it, it's a short book. I It has a lot of funny anecdotes about my my experience, but it's also meant to be empowering and uplifting and uh, just something different than what's out there, which is all about the baby or like, yeah. oh, aha, I'm a mom now and my life sucks. Like, I don't, I don't think that's helpful. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I think that's great. You know, I was actually talking to my mom last week. I was up in Canada and I don't know what the conversation, how I started, but she's like, I don't know how I raised you. I didn't even have a, a seat for you when you were a kid, but you turned out fine. But you have all these babies today where you got all these things you got to invest in and, and every small little thing has to be perfect. And yeah. she's like, she's like, and I have two sisters, younger sisters. She's like, well, look at you guys. You're fine. I don't even remember raising you guys, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I just remembered that, that whole story right now as you were mentioning that, hey, um, I think whether it's, it is being a mom or anything else, I think we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be this perfect. And I think half of that is the, this, you know, the, the society we're living in today, the times we're living in today, social media, for example, mm-hmm. comparing yourselves, well, I want to be this perfect mom or this perfect athlete, this mm-hmm. perfect employee, right? We see a lot of these things. At the end of the day, nobody's perfect. And mm-hmm. I think you have to look at, your, look at what's the best for you and take care of yourself first mm-hmm. so that you can take care of the people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can tell you, uh, I, I got the the message that it was basically impossible to be perfect really early. Um, 
which kind of hurt at the time, but has, has been really helpful for me. Um, when you go to Princeton, you're not the best at anything anymore, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, yeah. that's a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow, but, um, yeah, I moved on and I said, okay, how can I do what's best for me and contribute how I can? And, um, that, that has, yeah. that has been a good reminder for, <laughs> for me throughout the years that the, um, it's funny. My, my wife went to MIT and she asked me a question a few weeks ago. She's like, when's the, when was the time when you realized Tanvir that the world doesn't revolve around you? <laughs> She's like, for me, it was the day I got to MIT. <laughs> Uh-huh. You know, when you go from, I think when you go to this level of competitiveness, such as yourself at Princeton, you do realize that, hey, no one's perfect. Mm-hmm. There's great people out there. Um, so just do the best you can. Yep. And, and enjoy, the, enjoy the journey. And also be inspired by the greatness around you. Around you. you. Exactly. Princeton or on your sports team or where you work. But I, I mean, I, I personally probably take the most inspiration these days from my clients who are, you know, 10 ish years younger than me, they're, um, they're usually targeting the top 15 MBA programs in the U S and man, like they are, they are organized, they're passionate, they are interesting. And I just, I think, you know, being exposed to and engaging with, um, just really awesome people, even if sometimes they, that they make me feel like inferior, like, Oh, I wasn't doing that when I was 25 like yeah. that's a really wonderful and if you can just bottle up some of that that energy and those those insights like I just I just think there's something to be said for recognizing I'm not perfect I'm not the best what like but let me take some of this energy from yeah. those around me who are are, are the best or are ex- succeeding in different realms than I am so. yeah and, and be happy for people and I think in 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 turn you grow yourself, right? Um, mm-hmm. Seeing others succeed is actually going to help you get better because you learn and you're open mm-hmm. to, to new perspectives versus Definitely. thinking that you're the best. Definitely. Um, Emily, one last question. What is your number one advice to leaders today in this new post-pandemic world on being their best selves? Besides sleep. Yes. <laughs> That is the most important thing, but <laughs> in my world, definitely. Yeah. Um, gosh, post-pandemic, that can mean a lot of things. Um, but I, you know, something that's really stood out to me in this post-pandemic, we're, we're moving into this moving new reality. People are working remotely still, or there's hybrid situations going on. My company acquired an, a large competitor, um, Franklin Templeton acquired like Mason during the pandemic. So I'm working with all these people that I've never met in person before. Wow. Has just underscored how much relationships matter. Um, investing in getting to know people. Um, this was something I didn't, I, I was very social in college, but then when I got into my career, I was a little timid and a little pensive. And I, I, didn't, I wasn't comfortable reaching out to people or, you know, getting to know them um, if I wasn't directly in their orbit. And that I have worked on that. I've gotten more comfortable with taking calculated risks, which is, again, something we learn from sports, whether Mm -hmm. it's making a surge in a race and you you might die at the end, you just don't know, or um, 
you know, going for a kill on the field. Yeah. I don't know. Go like, for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably the wrong terminology for sports, uh, team sports. But um, <laughs> I just think I, I got comfortable with taking those calculated risks, getting to know people, contacting people that seemed way out of my league, finding some common ground with them. That has um, helped, him, helped me in my career at these very large organizations. And also in the pandemic environment um, and in a merger situation. Um, I feel like I am in a much better place than a lot of people right now because I have these really strong relationships across the organization, mm -hmm. reaching out to new people um, that, that it's, it's helpful for everyone. Yeah. Um, just it's helpful for me. I like getting to know people and then just knowing how to get things done and um, vice versa, help people out. So a little trite, but relationships matter, invest in them, put yourself out there. Um, just get to know folks and see, see how you can mutually work, you know, mutually yeah. work together for, for the greater good. So um, we, um, we're social animals and, um, and, you know, you'll be surprised and, and you've seen this firsthand, Emily, I've seen this as well, that most people actually do want to connect with you as well. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid of reaching out because people love talking to other people. And they so love talking about themselves too. Exactly. <laughs> just ask some questions. <laughs> yeah, just ask, ask the right questions. So, um, yeah, let's meet, meet as many people as you can. Uh, relationships, absolutely. Emily, how can uh, everybody watching and listening get to connect with you and learn more about your book and the consulting that you do? Yes. So my book is on Amazon. Um, you can also find me as an admissions admissions consultant on this new platform started by two very bright Stanford business school graduates called Leland. They're trying to make admissions more, um, more accessible to more people, admissions consulting. Um, and then my personal website is emilyexplainsitall.com, which I should update more, but I don't. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> because <it>. prioritizing. <laughs> yes. Focus on the things that are uh, the most important things. Yes. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Emily. Great to have you on the podcast. Really enjoyed uh, all the insights. And Likewise. Thanks so much yeah. for having me. All the best uh, 2022 and, and, and beyond. Same to you. No more pandemic, hopefully. No more pandemic. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.